Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Write Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, the bruise on the apple. I'm going to let Lane explain that title and where we're going in this episode. So it all starts with Mrs. Clark. Who's Mrs. Clark? Yeah, so actually, I'm going to back it up just a minute, because when I first came to the um, Tampa Bay Times, the St. Petersburg Times then, I remember telling my new editor, Mike Wilson, that I was really good at writing good news stories. And you remember back when we had in Virginia, Maria and I had this thing every Sunday, there was a story called the Sunday Spotlight. And we all sort of competed to write about who got to write the least cheesy, but happiest good news story, which was a little story on the front page with a sun on it called the Sunday Spotlight. And so Mike, one of the first things he said to me, well, after he hired me was, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that at the Tampa Bay Times. We don't write stories for the sake of being happy. We don't put little sons on stories and good on you, but I don't want you to do that. So I had to like sort of uh, take off my Pollyanna hat or at least turn the brim around backwards and think about things in a different way. And this was one of the first like longer term um, narratives I wanted to do was about a, a woman named Mrs. Clark. Okay, so Mrs. Clark was a middle school band teacher for intellectually and emotionally and physically disabled children. She had been there for like 27 years at a middle school in a really challenged neighborhood. And she had multiple sclerosis and was in a wheelchair. So she's trying to like, you know, direct the most challenged populations from her own compromised situation. And she decided she had to retire because things were getting bad. And so I wanted to follow her through the last year of her teaching middle school. And her um, students were gonna put on a play that were gonna do Cinderella. And I just, I just love that metaphor for her last year and for these kids that she's like grown, you know, who nobody else wanted in their arts classes. And um, so I followed Mrs. Clark for most of the school year um, and uh, she was putting together this play and everything. And I'd come back and I'd talk to Mike about the story and he'd be like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, great. That's awesome. She's too good to be true. Yeah, go back and find something about Mrs. Clark. And I'm like, find what? And it wasn't like dirt. Just find something that wasn't so perfect, you know? And I talked to her coworkers and her principal and her alumni students and her neighbors and her friends at church. And nobody had anything to say except for like glowing, put the halo and shine it up on Mrs. Clark's stuff. And so Mike finally one day was like, look, I, I can't run this story about this like overly perfect woman unless you find the bruise on the apple. And I was like, what? What is what does that even mean? I've never heard that phrase. And he said, um, basically, if you have an apple that's too perfect and you turn it around and it doesn't look real because it's so perfect, no one's going to believe it. It could be ceramic. It could be, you know, made out of um, glass or something. But if you have a bruise on the apple or like a little wormhole or something bad, some kind of a blemish, even if it's small, 
it all of a sudden lets you know that this is real and, and it allows you to accept it as something that's um, naturally occurring, not just something you're shining up, you know, to, to serve as a beacon. So um, how'd you find it with Mrs. Clark? How'd you, how'd you end up finding the bruise on the apple? Well, I kind of usually try to put myself in that person's perspective, like who of it, I'd already talked to probably, I don't know, 30 people, including like her husband and everybody in the neighborhood. And nobody was letting on of anything bad to say. And um, so then I kept thinking about like, who would have something negative to say, or maybe not even negative, but like insightful about something that might not be so great. And I thought about her grown daughter because my mom and I still have at this day and age, you know, there's some back and forth and baggage going on. And I realized that her grown daughter worked the night shift at the local hospital. So I went and met her for coffee at the hospital cafeteria when she got off at sunrise. And she started telling me how great her mom was and how much she does for these kids and everything like that. And she, she led herself into this. Well, I didn't have to ask the question. She said, but you know, my mom wasn't ever there for me very much. I hope now that she's retired, we have more time to spend together because she always had these whole room full of students who needed her more than I did. And I grew up kind of accepting that, that she might not be able to be there for this dance recital or this birthday party because some kid in her, you know, class of very needy kids had to have her. And she's like, I just, I regret that my mom wasn't there as much for me. And I was like, oh my God, holy cow. You know, I never would have thought to ask that. Debbie went to the school where her mother taught. So she was there in her presence all the time but the attention you know that the lack of time and attention when her energies were being directed to people who legitimately probably did need her more was hurtful you know and um I went back and asked Mrs. Clark about it and she started to cry because she knew you know she she felt regret for that um I was going to say and that's one of your big pieces of advice too once you find the bruise on the apple make sure to run it by the person that you're writing about not, not only because you don't want to surprise them, I imagine, but, but also because they might have a really good reaction to that, right? And which she, I mean, she didn't disagree. Right. I mean, first of all, I think it's because I want to be fair. You know, I want to give a person a chance to react and go, maybe not like, actually, I was there every single day. What the hell is she talking about, you know? But I also think that their reaction and how they, they respond to something like that, it's not an accusation. It's like, a, hey, I was talking to Debbie Ann and she said, Oh, oh, Debbie, you know, she almost like she knew, you know, um, but then that's that I, I think that's another question that we've talked about before, but I really like to ask people, what do you regret? Because I think that that leads people themselves sometimes to show you the bruise on the apple. You know, they're not going to say I was a crappy mother, but they might say I really regret that I couldn't go to the dance recital. So once you have the bruise on the apple, so you've searched for it. I mean, I, I think a tricky thing for all journalists is what do you include in this story? You know, if you're, especially when you're writing profiles or things like that, um, when do you, when does it seem like it's fair? And when does it seem like it really matters, um, you know, to kind of peel, <laughs> look at someone's worst quality or <laughs> something and figure out, you know, when does it, when does it go in the story? So we had, we had some stories that Lane's worked on. We were going to use as examples to sort of talk through that. Right. And one of them is from the girl in the window where you had, you had some reporting from that made Danny look very bad. I mean, you know, this girl who, as everybody hopefully knows that story, this girl who uh, was adopted after having been really mistreated by her birth mother. Um, and she was um, 
basically disabled from uh, that treatment. Um, so you're talk about that and that example. Yeah, so this little girl had spent her first like six or seven years in isolation. And by the time they adopted her and she was nine, she still wasn't potty trained. And that was one of the biggest things that I think the family, but also like society thinks of in terms of like humanizing someone, can they learn to go to the bathroom? And um, so it was a big goal for them. And one of their worries about me doing the story initially was they didn't, she was called a feral child. I mean, even the foster people that put her up for adoption called her a feral child. And the new parents didn't want her to be considered animalistic, you know? So we had this one scene and after Sunday afternoon at their house where she reached into her diaper and started smearing her poop all over the walls, all over the TV, all over the dogs. And it was just an incredible scene. The photographer documented, I was taking notes. The parents were so trying to get her under control. They weren't paying attention to us. And when I got back to write the scene and told my editor about it, then he said, oh my gosh, that's, that's pretty, um, that's pretty heavy. That's, you know, that's pretty tough stuff that makes her look really uncivilized, you know? He said, do you have another scene that, or he said, what are you trying to accomplish with that scene? And I said, to show this evolution between like a feral child and a civilized child. And he said, well, do you have another scene that would do the same thing? And I had this other sweet scene where the dad was like sitting around this little porta potty and bribing her with M&Ms while he read her this book. And so Mike said, well, just swap that out. You know, let's don't do the smearing the poop on the TV and the dog scene. Let's do the dad trying to teach her how to poop in a potty scene. And with candy, you know, I mean, it was so much sweeter, um, but it accomplished the same thing. You know, he, he was real big on like, and I, I find this an interesting term, emotional voyeurism. You know, don't just put a scene in there to be looking at a train wreck, you know, have a, a meaning for that. Um, to include that, whatever the bruise on the apple is. So Mike has a heart too, like even though he doesn't like happy stories, he does have a heart. Um, oh, absolutely. He loves the humanity and stories. And I think one of his hardest things, and probably for you too, is like saving me from myself, because I do tend to get a little bit more too in love with my characters sometimes, and I need somebody to pull me back and go, wait a minute, you know. Well, and that, that is a good way to look at too, the emotional voyeurism, because it it's like, is it really necessary? And, and like you said, you, it sounds like a really compelling scene in many ways, especially from the perspective of the parents trying to get this child under control and what they're up against. So I could see that debate. I could see the debate of like, it really does illustrate the challenge, but is it worth it? Yeah, I mean, you, and this one, and it's, and also interesting because this kid, it, like, she's not going to know what you wrote in your story, she's not going to care. But you know, do we still have some level of responsibility to treat people with dignity, regardless? And obviously, we do, right? So, but that is an interesting dilemma. Um, other times, you like so, yeah. Eva Knievel, you didn't care so much about um, whether well, you made me look bad. <laughs> I wasn't going to put Eva Knievel being mean to me in the story because I felt like that was my problem. And if he's going to yell at me and tell me I'm a bad journalist, I'm asking bad questions, and I'm stupid and berate me, okay, that's on me. But when I told Mike about that, he was like, no, that sounds like he would do that to anybody who showed up at his door, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon and was asking about his career or whatever. He goes, you need to put that in there because it shows this aspect of Evil Knievel that you don't see when he's on stage or you don't see when he's on the wide world of sports, you know what I mean? And, and so the personal then became 
part of the narrative. And I was real uncomfortable with that. Um, I'm still not sure I handled that correctly, but I do agree with the idea that this is a bruise on this man. You know, this is like this iconic hero who, you know, captivated the country by jumping over the Grand Canyon was kind of a dick in his old age. And, and he was like a broken man who never thought he'd be an old man. And like, here's how it manifests. So I, I agree that it needed to be in there. It was just comfortable because it was directed at me, you know. So let's talk about some of the other examples that have stood out for you. You know, times when you had, you know, you found out information that really made someone look bad. And, and then how do you decide whether to include it or not? Yeah, I think sometimes the stuff you find out you're not looking for. You know what I mean? I don't ever really start out looking for something bad about somebody until I start feeling like, oh, they're too good to be true. Or my editor says, find the bruise on the apple. You know, I kind of err on the other side of accepting the good in people and wanting to know about that. Um, so some of the things I find out about, I wasn't even really like looking for. Like I think about um, this, the long series we did about Lincoln, the little boy who was waiting for his miracle cure and his mother who had let us in on every moment had this one giant meltdown when he found, she found out that he might not get the cure and she's drinking vodka and she's ranting and she's talking to herself and she didn't tell us to leave and we recorded and watched the whole thing and it was um embarrassing for her but she accepted it we actually said to her you know we're thinking about putting this in the documentary and the story and she's like well that was me you know I don't I don't know what I would have done if she said oh please don't put that in there but she had held herself together so well through such horrible stuff and never lost it and we covered her for three years so when she finally lost it, it felt like, oh, we need to cover this breaking point because nobody can be that strong through all of this tragedy. And when your hope finally gets pulled out from under you entirely, man, I know I had to drink some vodka, you know, it just- a, To me, it didn't feel very judgy. You know, I, I mean, like, I'm sure there are people who might judge it and react poorly, but, but boy, it sure felt like she'd earned that vodka, you know, I mean, at that point. So to me, that wasn't, I, did, I didn't feel a lot of angst about including it, unless, of course, like you said, if she had turned around and said, oh, God, please don't put that in there. But, um, but it just felt like such an, it was such a traumatic moment, and you can understand why, why she got there. Well, and it was also, you know, she and her husband never let themselves have more than two drinks because they had to be like on in case something happened to this child and he, you know, coded in the middle of the night. So it was such a different kind of a, like, I need a release, which she hadn't gotten, you know what I mean? What about you? So you talked about too. Sometimes the bruise is too big. <laughs> what What do you do in those cases? Yeah, uh, sometimes the bruise is too big to even like want to continue to eat the apple. I guess. Um, the, in In my whole career, in over thirty years, I think I've only punted on three or four stories, and I remember two of them being because I found this thing out that made the story not worthwhile anymore. Um, one of them was about this. Is, Okay, this is a pretty stupid story, right? It was about this guy who had adopted this beagle and he was like this lonely young man. His whole life was around this beagle and he tracked down all the other owners of all the other beagles in the litter because he wanted the dog to have friends, like even though he didn't really have friends. And so I wanted to cover the beagle reunion and write about like how this rescue dog had rescued this man. And I spent time with him and his little cute little dog and he fed the dog bottled water because he wasn't going to give the dog anything he wasn't going to eat. And it was just like, you know, that was the, the feel good type of a story about what this dog had done for the man. Well, we background everybody there. We write about for the times, even if it's about a guy who adopted a beagle. So I gave his name to the researcher and she backgrounded him and she goes, there's nobody by this name in all of Florida. 
And I was like, well, no, I just talked to him. I went to his apartment in Tampa. And I, I met his dog and everything. She's like, nope, he, he doesn't exist in any database. And I was like, okay. So I called him back and I said, did I spell your name wrong? And he goes, oh no, I gave you a fake name. I don't want anybody coming after me and my beagle. <laughs> I was like, what? You lied to me about your very name? I mean, that was crazy. So I, I talked to my editor and he's like, it's not that great of a story. You know, if you can't believe him about who his name is, let's just punt the whole thing because who knows what other stuff crap was made up, you know? So we let that one go. His bruise, was, his own identity wasn't even honest. Um, I don't know if he had anything in his background or not, but it was just like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And, and the other story was a, um, a little encounter I was trying to do about a man who lives in this diverse neighborhood um, in South St. Pete who was going around and saying the rosary every night for his neighbors. He was on the neighborhood watch. And so I spent an evening with him as he went around with his neighbors and prayed for them and talked to them and the sun was setting and it was lovely and he talked to God and it was lovely. And then the next night we went back out with a photographer who happened to be black and this man was so nasty, mean to the photographer and calling him boy and how did you get this job? And I didn't know there was somebody like you on this story and I was about to throw up. I felt so awful for this photographer. I felt like here's this, this Christian man doing good on Neighborhood Watch and he's actually a racist asshole. And so there was no way to write the story about the man saying the rosary for his neighbors who was also a racist jerk. I was either gonna have to go one way or the other. And so. We just kind of punted and, and didn't do that story at all. There was there was no way to get around that bruise, you know. That's scary though, right? Because sometimes, I mean, if if he hadn't acted like that, you would have you might not have known, and he still might have been the racist asshole. But right. you know. or if I had a different photographer, that might not have come out, and I would have been lauding this guy who. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Harvard these feelings, you know? Right. Um... So let's go back a little bit to, you know, getting this out of people. Sometimes, obviously that guy was triggered, what a, <laughs> lovely, but um, you know, when you're, like you said, you're not necessarily looking for the bad thing that's happened to, to someone or, but you are trying to tell a, more of a character. You're trying to tell a more complete story, right? I mean, I know um, in my career, I've thought of them as stick figures. I think a lot of the times in journalism, we tell stories with stick figures people who don't really feel very real, you know, they feel kind of surface. So when you're trying to get that out of people, um, you, you, there are questions that you like to ask, right? One of them is the regret question, which is a great question. I don't know how I'd answer that if you asked me that question, but um, so what are some of the other things that, that you're, you're doing to try to pry some stuff out of them? Well, and I think I should say too that it works both ways like we maria and i just edited a story about a murderer and she's like the nicest murderer ever and i think sometimes if you have a really bad person or a person who's really done something bad you need to find the good in them just as much as if you have a really good perfect person you need to find something a little not so good and that doesn't have to be salacious at all you know but it can be something like like i know my my roommate from college who i loved i haven't talked to her in almost 30 years 
And that is a giant regret. And it's a conversation we need to have. And if someone asked me that, I would definitely put that up there on my list of regrets. Um, so yeah, I ask people about regrets. I ask about failed relationships. I ask people about um, things they had wanted, but they didn't get. Um, I ask, what don't people know about you? You know, and on the other side of that, what do people assume about you that you want to correct the record on? Um, you know, do, what are their fears? Um, what are their, yeah, how would they like to change the world sometimes brings that up if they haven't, you know, worked towards something to make the place better. Um, and, and a lot of times it happens, you know, late at night, for me at least, or after the conversation or the, I don't really have interviews, but after that moment where we're asking questions back and forth is gone and it's quiet, sometimes those things come out, you know, like we were, <laughs> we were covering this man, I wanted to write about somebody who had decided to um, end their own life because they had a terminal disease and there's no way to do that in Florida. So we found this man who was trying to decide when to let go because he didn't want to be a burden to his wife. And we spent a lot of time with them hanging out and going to doctor's appointments and eating dinner and looking at old photo albums and stuff. And when we were packing up to leave one night, the photographer and I, um, the man just starts screaming at his wife. It was like our moment and our scene of covering it was over with, but he was just berating her for like not cutting his food into small enough bites and not putting his pajamas out right and not making sure that all of his pills were in the right place. And he was horrible to her. And then after he finally went to bed, the wife, we were like, God, what just happened there? You know, and she's like, oh, he's in pain. He's scared. You know, he, he's taking it out on me because I'm the only one here. And I was like, well, was he always like that? Did, you, did he always yell at you like that? She said, oh yeah, you know, back when he was younger and stronger, he pulled out a machete on me once. And I was like, holy cow, because here this whole time, we've been following this man for months and he's showing us his artwork that he did. And he's talking to us about, you know, all these, this cool jazz music that he listens to and how him and his wife had all these fun adventures and he pulled a machete on her. And then she tells me, yeah, and he hasn't talked to his son in 30 years. He hasn't talked to his son in 30 years. The guy's dying. He's about to like leave this earth and he hasn't made those amends, you know? So all of a sudden we had all these bruises on our, our name was, it's called Prince Vinegar was the story because he was kind of a salty guy, but we had all these bruises on him that we didn't know until sort of the last minute um, because he had this, eruption with his wife and then because we had quiet time with her after he went to bed you know what did you end up putting in the story on that one yeah we talked a lot about that so I reached out to his son who hadn't talked to him in 30 years and he basically told me what a jerk his dad had been his uh, he was dating this woman who he got pregnant and the dad didn't approve and like had cut them out of the family entirely which the guy hadn't told me you know what I mean um and we decided though we couldn't really uh corroborate the machete thing. There was no like police report. And he, you know, I didn't, I didn't even ask him if he had done that because I thought being able to show the scene of when he was yelling at her in the here and now was just as powerful, you know? I mean, he wasn't threatening her life, but I don't know if he was then, but the scene we saw was so uncomfortable between this dying man and his caregiver wife who was doting on him. We chose that scene, you know, we didn't need both of them. And I did include the son's scene because I feel really strongly that Familial relationships say a lot about who people are, you know. Well, and that um, I was going to say, like getting back to the question of, you know, what to include and and what you're pushing for. You're you're trying to make the person feel more real, right? I mean, if you if God, if you hadn't included that about him, 
um, you could easily have ended up with something that looked like, oh, he, he too, he too was a saint, you know, just, just, um, just this poor tortured man who's trying to figure out when to die. But then by including that information, it's almost like, well, I'm not going to be that sad to see him go. Um, but, but I'm also like, he's more real to me as, as a character, right? Well, and you also don't ever want someone to come back and bite you in the butt and go, you know, have his son read it in the paper one day and call me and go, you never talked to me. You don't know what a jerk he was. You know what I mean? You have to cover your butt and think about repercussions. It's because somebody, if somebody does know something bad about this person, they're going to know you didn't do your homework, you know, or you didn't paint a complete picture. We should say that Lane reached out to Mike to ask where that where the bruise on the apple terminology came from. And he couldn't remember. He's pretty sure he didn't come up with it, but it just came to mind because he was trying to push you, Lane, to get like, get, get deeper on this, on this subject. But it's great. I think it's a great phrase. It's a great thing to be thinking about. Oh, and it's a great life lesson too. You know, if, if the guy on the Tinder just seems too good to be true, there's a bruise there, you know? <laughs> Probably all the guys on Tinder seem too good to be true, but okay. <laughs> all right. If you have a question for Lane about this subject, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Ayana Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.